honestly, when I work with my kids in Newark, you know, I, I know some of their stories um, and I, and I see a lot of myself, my younger self in their lives. And I, I only hope that they do find um, refuge and safety in making music. Hi, I'm Jihoon Kerska, and you're entering a world gone good. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and you've entered the place where we shine the light and find the light in the darkness to remind ourselves the world of ours that we're in right now is still pretty damn good. You know what else is pretty damn good? Our website, worldgonegoodpodcast.com, created and curated by my longtime best pal, Lisa. She would love nothing more than for you all to collectively go right now at the same time and crash the site because too many millions of good people go all at once. Let's do it. Let's crash the site in three, in two. Okay, let's not crash the site. Let's not make her angry. She's not happy with me right now, but let's just visit it, okay? Let's just visit it to find all the good we have to offer in one delightful location, worldgonegoodpodcast.com. So Jim's birthday was coming up, and I get this brilliant idea to fly in his best pal, Melinda, to surprise him. Melinda brings her fiancé, Keith, and we fail to surprise Jim because Jim is a sneaky bastard and figures it out. Today's show is all about sneaky bastards who can't simply enjoy a good surprise and decide to figure things out. No, actually, today's show is about Melinda saying to me over wine testing, hey, you should have my sister-in-law on your show. She's amazing. She teaches inner city kids piano through her organization, Keys to Success. This is me briefly consolidating and quoting what she said. I say, that sounds so good, which serves a dual purpose because um, I was saying it to both Melinda's suggestion and the bottle of wine Keith, her fiance, was suggesting we sample next. See, everyone wins, everybody. Win, win, win. Jihun Kurska is a musical force of good. This is her story of sharing her love of creativity, artistry, and piano with kids one note at a time. Well, this is quite a gathering that is happening here for two reasons. One is one of our closest friends in the world is a woman named Melinda. And number two is I had to reschedule this interview three times, two times, because they won't stop doing damn construction, which they're still doing right outside <laughs> our house. But this, <laughs> so I want to start by saying thank you, Jihoon, for being as um, flexible and as kind. And my first question to you is, how do you do you like uh, Melinda? Do you get along with Melinda? What's your relationship? Let's get deep here because she's one of my All right. she's one of my favorite people. So go ahead. T- let's badmouth her. Go ahead. You know what? Actually, I just came back from visiting Melinda uh, out in Oregon. She is so sweet. I love her very much. And um, the fact that she's related to me um, doesn't change a thing. <laughs> You're married to her brother. Yes, I am. And you live in Newark, New Jersey. I'm actually a little bit outside of Newark, New Jersey. I'm in a suburb. It's called New Providence. 
Sure. I used to live in Randolph, New Jersey, up by Morristown. Okay. Yeah, not too far. Yeah, not too far at all. And you have, we have so many things in common because my brother teaches at the Boston Conservatory of Music. He is a professor there. He went to Boston University. He uh, played with the, he's played with the Boston Pops. He played for Celine Dion a few times. Um, Uh And he's a concert pianist. You're a concert pianist, correct? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Actually, my son goes to Boston University. So that's another, another connection point. Amazing. So take us through this. You, when did you first start taking piano lessons? Well, um, I am a Malaysian Chinese. So I was born in Malaysia. And in Malaysia, in our subculture of the Chinese um, residents, basically every little girl grows up playing the piano. So I started the piano just like everybody else at about age six, uh, which is about the time we entered school. Um, and my mom would, my mom is really, really good at getting us to practice piano. I didn't always like it, but she, um, always sat with us to practice piano. I say we, because I actually have a twin sister. Oh, cool. Uh, my sister and I, we would play piano several hours a day. And, um, we actually performed quite a bit because we were a little bit rare at the time, uh, to be a pair of twins. So we were the piano twins that would play all the time. <laughs> Wait, are we identical or are we fraternal? I don't have genetic tests to prove it, but I think we're identical. Oh, I love this. <laughs> so you could start a concert and she could have switched out and we wouldn't have known. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> is she is she still playing piano for a living or for fun or is she went somewhere else? Well, what's uh, interesting about both of us is that we... We're actually um, engineers, engineers by training. I almost said engineers for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm an electrical engineer by training. My sister is a mechanical engineer by training. And we did spend some time in engineering. I spent 20 years. She spent a little bit less than that. Uh, but we both came back to piano. And she is teaching up in the Boston area. She um, teaches piano privately, primarily. And um, and I have a nonprofit teaching piano. Yes. And the nonprofit is called Keys to Success. Yes. When did you start it? Well, I started in 2016. Let me tell you a little bit about that. It's a little bit um, unusual the way it got started. Actually, I, I never thought I would come back to piano because my my mom drilled it into our heads that, you know, piano is nice, but it has to be just a hobby. You have to, you know, have a career that will make some good money. And so for me, um, I always knew that I had to be an engineer. That's what, you know, my mom wanted from us. So, so actually I, um, played piano very seriously growing up. Um, we, my sister and I were actually, quite good in Malaysia because of all the practicing my mom made us do. Um, We we ended up being um, one of the top players in Malaysia, but Malaysia is a small country. So when, when we came to America, you know, that was a totally different story, right? There's a, when, when did you come to America? We came to America when I was um, almost 12 years old, but my mom still had this dream that we were going to be somehow the best. So she, decided to contact Juliet pre-college. 
and just picked up the phone and called them and tried to find out if we could get in. Um, luckily for her and for us, the woman who answered the phone is um, was the director of the pre-college division. Olenia Fuski is her name. And she's still alive today, and I'm still in contact with her. Ms. Fuski um, decided to just listen to us play a little bit, and she, she knew that we weren't quite good enough to get into Juilliard pre-college at the time. But she still decided to take us under her wing and just um, teach us. Actually, what she did was she she took my technique all the way back down to the, you know, to the basics again. We was playing five finger scales again and just rebuilding everything. And after a year and a half of lessons, um, we auditioned and we got in. Wow. Yeah. So I think I went off on a little tangent just now. No, that's a great tangent, but I want to stay here for a minute because we're going to get back to our story. I want to ask a question, which is this. Every mom thinks their child is the best. Yes. Asian culture moms put a certain amount of pressure mm-hmm. that perhaps some American and other country moms don't put on their children. Mm-hmm. Is is this a true statement or is this something we just have seen or believed or movies or rumors that we hear on the street? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and did it did it affect you? How did it affect you? I um so it is true. And um for me, I, I I see both the good things and the bad things that can come out of it. There's a good side and there's also a dark side. Um so I I don't bring up my kids the same way. I don't put the same um level of pressure on them on them. Although my kids may say that I still put a lot of pressure on them. <laughs> um, so I think the expectation is actually a very important thing to think about. Because what you expect from a child raises the ceiling for them. And that's actually something that I bring into Keys to Success. One of the things that... Um, kids who grow up in inner city, especially um, the kids who come from um, generational poverty, what's missing a lot of times is an expectation of success. So my mom's expectation of my success is probably, it it goes beyond what is um, typical, even for Asian families, I would say. My mom expected us to just be the best in anything that we did, whether it's academic or uh, music. She she just had that expectation. And, and I do bring a little bit of that craziness with me. <laughs> that's it's, also It's good that you're aware, right? I mean, that's, that's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So I, I bring that to, to it. I expect it from my kids also. And what I do see is that kids do rise to the occasion. What you expect from them, um, you know, opens up their horizons. Let's go back for one second. When you were talking about going to Juilliard, my brother went to the Mana School of Music, um, uh-huh. which is uh, across town, not far. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. But he went on Saturday and Sundays because he kept going to high school, regular public high mm-hmm. school. What was your situation? Mm-hmm. Were you going there five days a week? Were you going there on the weekends like he was? How did it work for you? Okay. So um, the pre-college program only ran on Saturdays, but... My sister and I actually went there five days a week to practice. Oh, my gosh. Coming to this country was disorienting. I um, We came from a very small town. 
uh, it was 40 miles south of the capital, Kuala Lumpur. Um, and, you know, just being plopped right into Queens, New York. It was very disorienting. And on top of that, my mom, who was probably the parent I was closer to, um, not probably, definitely the parent I was closer to, my mom, um, she got breast cancer a couple of years after arriving in America. And, um, you know, she went through chemo. And so ultimately, though, um, it, it spread to her liver. And so she was under a lot of um, medication and she just wasn't able to be there for us the same way um, she was there all my life, right, before we came to America. So for me, um, playing the piano was really a refuge. It was something that did not change when I came to America. The piano, you know, feels the same. I can control it the same way I could control it when I was in in Malaysia, you know, making dynamics and making um, music, expressing myself through it. So I found a lot of um, solace and security, really, um, in playing the piano. So every day after school, right after school, uh, my sister and I would take the subway um, and go to Juliet. And we would stay there and practice until uh, the school closed, uh, 10 o'clock at night and um, take the subway back home. So it was like, um, it was something we needed to do for ourselves. Do you think it's a ref, was it a refuge? Was it a place? Absolutely. Yeah. And was it a place for you to get away from everything that was happening for the person you looked up most to? Yeah, it was, it was an escape, really was an escape. And I think about that a lot, honestly, when I work with my kids in Newark, you know, I, I know some of their stories, um, and I and I see a lot of myself, my younger self, in their lives, and I I only hope that they do find um, refuge and safety in making music, um, even if it's temporary, right? Right before you're exposed to reality again. So, keys to success. When did this start? When did the idea come into your head? When did you, did you have that spark moment of like, I'm done being an engine nerd, your word, not mine, <laughs> your word. <laughs> did you have them on? Because you're a doctor. And I wanted to ask you, you're a doctor. What are you, what are you a doctor of? Uh, electrical engineering. Oh, my goodness. Okay. But there is a connection there because there is a connection between music and math. And we know that, right? Yes. And we know that kids who are involved in music and the arts excel in everything else, including science, including math and, and all, all those things. After I got my PhD, I uh, worked for a couple of years and still continued playing the piano. But then when my son was born in 2001, I decided to put aside piano. It was just very time consuming and I just didn't have the time uh, to dedicate to it anymore. So I put it aside in 2001. And during that time, we started attending church in Newark because, as I said, I, I live in a fairly well-to-do neighborhood in New Jersey. And when my son was born, I wanted to make sure that he was exposed to the full range of our society, you know, similar to my upbringing in Queens, New York. The church happened to have... Um, a mid midweek event every week uh, where this 
kids from a neighboring public housing uh, would join. So my son he became friends with kids who um, were growing up in public housing. And eventually when my daughter was born two years later, she also joined the program. And it was during this time that I, I learned a lot. I, I learned a lot. So even though I grew up in Queens, I, um, I wasn't always exposed to all parts of life. Right. Uh, I mean, probably because I was practicing so much. <laughs> right. Um, but it was during the years when we were, um, my husband and I volunteered in the program. It was during those years that I realized how unfair life is really for a kid like my kids growing up in New Providence. They have music, uh, music programs starting from, you know, the time they're able to crawl, really, right? Um, but for kids, Growing up in the inner city, even when they go to school, there's really not much music there. And there was actually a period of time, you know, during the years that I was volunteering there, when there was absolutely no music programs or any art program in the public schools. Sure. And um, the kids whom we worked with, at first... um, they were young because my kids were young, right? So we would work with them when they were in pre-K and kindergarten. This is still a church. Uh, yeah, through the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I could see the kids were all the same, all the same. You know, they were all eager to learn, eager to please, and they all had the same potential. But then um, going into first grade, you start to see a little bit, you know, differences in reading levels and math. And by the time they get into third grade, I can tell you the levels, they were practically in different grades, grade levels. It was a little shocking to me that the differences grew that early on. So knowing that, I just felt like I wanted to do something for the kids in Newark um, but for many years, I didn't know what to do. I, I One thing I knew for sure was that I wasn't going to be going to try to be a hero and, you know, quit my job and go, you know, save the world. That wasn't what I was going to do. I just kept volunteering for many years after that, once a week. And then in 2014, something unusual happened, just out of the blue, really. My piano teacher from college, um, who constitutes quite a bit, his name is David DeVoe. He he wrote me a handwritten note, which is, you know, who even does that anymore? <laughs> right. <laughs> so he, he wrote me a handwritten note and said, hey, I've been invited to be a soloist with the Boston Pops. Um, would you like to play as a soloist with me the, the two piano Mozart concerto? Wow. So, yeah, it was totally out of the blue. And he had no idea that I had stopped playing in 2001. So, so I didn't tell him that. I said, "Oh, of course." And I just like dusted <laughs> off my piano and just started practicing like mad. <laughs> so, um that was really fun. You know, we we performed, you know, later um that year. Is it but is it like a bicycle? Can you just get back on it or did I mean, did you what were your nerves like? What were you, I mean, well, I don't ride the bicycle that well, so I couldn't tell you if it's exactly like a bicycle, but I can tell you a lot of it came back. 
Now, I don't play at quite the same level as I used to because I don't practice as much as I used to either, right? So, um, but it did come back. But it came, the main thing that um, struck me was that finally I realized what music did for me. It wasn't just a, a comfort to me. Music gave me opportunity. It opened up doors for me. Because, um, you know, I was actually I was almost 50 years old by then. Right. And, um, and just to have this amazing opportunity come up, that was incredible. So that's what got me to um, just kind of stop and say, wow, I think I want to start something in music for kids growing up in Newark. And um, it wasn't an easy decision. It's hard to give up a a full-time job, right? So um, I just told myself that I'll just take a year off, call it a sabbatical, um, go do my research and see what I can do in Newark. Uh, And I just started meeting with um, folks who had done work in Newark and um, just see what would happen. And, you know, it was incredible. The doors just started opening. It was um, way faster than I thought. Um, and I never turned back after that. Where did the name Keys to Success come from? It comes from my con- conviction that piano is not necessarily, learning piano is not necessarily something that you do um, only if you want to be a musician. But piano is a gateway. It's a gateway potentially to other music forms. But as you said, so many of folks that are successful in different industries, they also play piano, right? So I don't, you know, there's lots and lots and lots of research showing that there's a connection in brain development and all that. But that's not what um, I think about. What I think about is this. There's this image that uh, has been in my mind since the beginning. Is that, so if you go into any classical music competition these days, um, it's primarily dominated by um, Asians and some white students, right? But I thought to myself, you know, what would it do to a child's um, sense of capability? And if uh, a, a black or brown child, right, to go toe to toe with an Asian kid and beat them in piano. I love that you went to that because I thought you were going to say to see. Oh, no. Like a, as an audience member. No, we're going to beat people. Oh, yeah. I'm kidding. But no, no. <laughs> There's your mother. Your mother just came out. Okay. That's right. So no, no. No, I love that because I'll tell you like there's so many images of little small brown and black children seeing Kamala Harris mm-hmm. become our vice president mm-hmm. and seeing themselves the mm-hmm. way when we saw Barack Obama do it. Yeah. And that is there, but I love that you went right there. Yeah. Thank you. Because there's an empowerment to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're not about putting kids in the audience. We're putting them on stage. And that's actually uh, what we do a lot of, right? We, we put our kids on stage. Well, we put them up on stage very prepared. And I always tell the kids, you know, when I have you on stage, 
people are not just going to say, oh, that was nice. They're gonna, the jaws are going to drop. <laughs> no pressure, right? Oh, my God. Right, no no pressure at all. <laughs> I love that you're hearing yourself say it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. Okay. This is like therapy. Okay. No, but I think it's great. I think yeah. it's great because why not? Why not go and be the best? Right. That that you can be. That's right. That's right. So that's where um, Keys to Success comes from, is that once um, you're in this program, our expectation is that you have an idea of yourself as a successful person and other people start to see you as a successful person, Right. Now, people in the Newark area to get into this program, how does it work? So we actually um, work very, very closely with grassroots organizations. So when I say grassroots, I mean the mom and pop shop of uh, nonprofits. So these are organizations that you would never hear of. They are primarily run by people who have lived in Newark all their lives, who are committed to the success and the flourishing of Newark and uh, their residents, right? Who are not necessarily in there to make a name for themselves. Let me just give an example. So um, one of our partners, the organization is called Aka Creates, founded by a woman named Marcia Hurd. Marcia actually has a PhD in, in dance. And um, she's had a long career in education and raised two kids in Newark who went to uh, ended up private school and one just graduated college and is working for a pharmaceutical company right, right now. So, you know, they've done done well and certainly could have afforded to move out of Newark, as many people tend to do once they um, achieve a little bit of um, financial success. But they haven't. So. Um, Marcia is amazing. And I actually um, got to see her in action this summer because she literally walks the blocks and knocks on doors to tell people about um, the summer program where we teach kids piano. And um, so this summer, um, Marcia um, found a location which would host um, both Arca Creates and Keys to Success. Uh, ended up drawing over 30 kids to the program. Again, door to door, you know, walking the block, talking to moms and grandmas and security guards or whatever, whoever will stop and talk, right? And brought the kids in. We have a commitment that we we don't, we're not in here to steal kids from other programs. So we're here to bring music, um, piano lessons in particular, to students have, who have never had piano lessons before. So in particular, we target neighborhoods which are a little bit more remote, even in a, you know, even though it's still in uh, Newark, but uh, remote in the sense that it's not close to downtown, where which is getting revitalized quite well, where a lot of the programs reside. So we go out into the neighborhoods um, and find the kids. And you bring them to this location. They learn piano here. They rehear- They practice here. They rehearse here. These are not families that have the finances, most likely, to have their own piano in the home. Is that correct? Right. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 
So our program is also unusual in the sense that we teach um, five days a week. The reason we teach five days a week is that the um, the classical piano model relies on moms staying at home to watch the kids play, um, and that's that's actually that actually was the reason why my sister and I got so good because my mom literally sat next to us and helped us practice, and then um, when it was time for lesson, she was. <laughs> Sounds a little crazy, but my mom wasn't crazy, I promise. But she would she would stand outside the uh, lesson uh, door, listen to everything the teacher would say, and come home and make sure that we did what the teacher said we were supposed to do. She is a good mom. Yeah, she, she was a good mom. mom. Yeah. <laughs> so she's a good mom. So um, so our practice sessions at home would literally like mini lessons. Right. Yeah, because we were not allowed to practice it the wrong way, right? We we always did it the right way, and so it was very very effective in um in training us. So that's actually what we do with our kids five days a week. The many I think of it as like coach practice le- sessions, right? So every day you practice and you learn a little bit, um, and it does. It equalizes everything, right? So um, it doesn't really matter if you you have a stay-at-home mom or you have a mom who's working, you know, 12 hours a day, right? Um, you're all going to be able to practice every day if you come to the program. And it's also equalizing it in the sense that the programs are situated in the neighborhoods, right? So there's no um, advantage to somebody who has... Um, a ride, right? Somebody who can drive a car or something, right? It doesn't matter. This is right there. For inner city kids, you know, the parents don't end up going to the schools that much for different reasons, you know, work or just cultural difference or whatever. A lot of the parents didn't actually get to see their kids play, you know, day in and day out because they were practicing at school. But then um, we we moved the program to um, Pennington Court, which is public housing, uh, the, the public housing uh, where I first got exposed to Newark, right? So we moved the program to Pennington Court and we started teaching in, the, in a rec center there where the moms, some of the moms worked. And it was so amazing to me to see how just having a mom walk into the room would cause a child to want to practice so much more, right? Um, just because they wanted to make their mom happy. They wanted to make their mom proud of them. I, I mean, that part speaks to me a lot because, as I mentioned, my my mom had cancer for most of the time that we were in America. And um, so, you know, my sister and I, we played piano. And my, my mom, she missed a lot of concerts, you know, because of her cancer. But the probably the, the biggest concert my sister and I did while we were in high school, was one in Lincoln Center in Avery Fisher Hall, where we were soloists with the orchestra playing um, Carnival of, of the Animals, which is a two-piano uh, concerto. Actually, by that time, my mom was pretty sick, and she she wasn't coming out of bed much anymore. But the day of the concert, my mom just, like, you know, willed herself. She was going to come and see us play. And she um, just... Um, put on makeup, dressed really nicely. She came. She looked so 
well. She looked like she could live on forever that day. And I remember seeing her face in that sea of faces, right? I remember seeing, I still can see it in my mind's eye, how proud she looked and that how happy she was, you know, that all the sacrifice of coming to this country, it was worth it. I think about it all the time, that every mom, you have that desire that your child will make make it to something better than what you have. Having your child succeed brings the greatest joy. Keys to success is not just for the child. It's to bring hope to the families, to the community. We close these shows with three questions. Don't panic. You know all the answers. Okay. Question number one, <laughs> easiest question there is, where do people find out more about Keys to Success and how do they support you? Well, website, www.keysnewark.com. Um, Instagram or Facebook, it's at keysnewark. Uh, well, it's at keysnewark. And there's a donate button on our website. Second question is, it can go back to anything we've already talked about or anything you want to say. Who inspires you? Honestly, it's the the families that I teach. Um, Steve, if I may, this might be a little bit longer than what you expect from the last question. No, go, go. Okay, so um, as I said, I'm an immigrant, but um, I would call myself a privileged immigrant as an Asian American. Um, and um, the more I work in Newark, the more I realize my privilege. And um, I also honestly couldn't wait to get out of the inner city when I was growing up. Um, actually I have, you know, um, poems that I used to write in, in high school about how I just want to get out. I just want to get out. Right. But there are families that we work with. Um, Marcia is one, you know, but, uh, another mom that I know, her name is Andrea. You know, she grew up in Newark. Um, it was a tough um, childhood. And she's now very successful in her career. But she's chosen to raise her own kids in Newark. This summer was a tough summer. It, we were tested. Uh, Andrea was actually, um, honestly, violently attacked uh, one day. Um, and that's just struck me so hard, you know, living in, uh, in Newark takes commitment. It comes at a cost and, but it takes faith also, right? You must believe that there is a better future coming and that you will spend your life working for that better future, um, Maybe not for yourself, but for your kids and other generations to come. That's what inspires me because um, working in Newark sometimes can get tiring. It can wear on your soul. 
it can make you feel hopeless and make you want to give up and take the shortcut, right? Um, but it's families, people like Andrea, like Marcia, that inspire me and keep me going. That wasn't long at all. It was perfect. The final question. It's not a question. It's a statement. It's how we close every show. Finish the statement any way you like. It goes like this. Tell me something good. Okay, Steve, you can erase this part. <laughs> you, you keep saying it. that. <laughs> 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 this is the least confident you've been this whole time. Go ahead. God is good, Steve. Why would I erase that? I don't know. <laughs> I've had so many guests on who have brought up God, have brought up Jesus, have brought up spirituality, universe. If that's what is good to you, that's what's good to you. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Jihan, for sharing your good. Go visit keysnewark.com. For more information on how you can support this good, no great, it's great, organization. Next time on World Gone Good. Our mission is to uh, change uh, uh, the, the, the problem about failure uh, around the world. You know, like uh, we, we try to do that through organizing events Uh, where people uh, talk about their professional failure. Charlie Zimbron wants you to communicate, celebrate, and embrace your professional failure, or in my case, professional failures, plural, for the good of it. Yes, he and a group of friends are the creative force behind Fuck Up Nights. You heard me. We are going to fuck things up with Fuck Up Nights. And if you are highly offended right now, one... Blame my best pal, Lisa, who loves this group and pitched the idea to me. And two, too fucking bad. We all fuck up. We all fail. What's good about it? That's what we're going to find out for fuck's sake. Until then, be fucking good. <laughs>